Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Smart Cities Chronicles podcast. My name is Adam Beck, your host, my day job executive director of the Smart Cities Council for Australia and New Zealand. Welcome to episode 58 of the Chronicles. Um, we, uh, we head up to Singapore for this, uh, for this episode and uh, chat with Charles Reed Anderson, uh, a friend that I've known for just over a year. We met in Bangkok, I think it was first, and we've kept in touch since. Uh, and recently, Charles wrote a couple of articles that really caught my eye, and we're going to unpack those today. Charles, thanks so much for joining us today. Oh, it's a pleasure to be here. Um, our listeners are all over the place, a uh, number of countries around the world. Can we start with a quick bio? Who are you and what do you do? Okay, so I'm Charles Reed Anderson. Um, well, how do I do? That's, that's an interesting question because I've actually got <laughs> sort of a portfolio career right now. Um, so I think I'm getting older, so I'm too, I get bored in one job, so I'm doing many. Um, so my day job, um, I run a company called Charles Reed Anderson Associates, um, which does advisory work around the IoT and smart cities ecosystem across Australia uh, and New Zealand, and of course, all of Asia, since I'm based in Singapore. Um, we do everything from working with startups, banks, governments, uh, tech vendors, you name it. Um, I also am an advisor to McKinsey and Company on IoT, senior advisor um, external on that. I also run a podcast called Tech First Asia. And most recently, as of last week, we've just launched a new accelerator and fund, which is going to focus on IoT, prop tech, and smart cities called Spark Labs Connects. And that's in association with Spark Labs, uh, one of the leading global accelerator programs. So indeed, you are clearly defining what we know as the portfolio career. Plenty, plenty in there. How's your podcast going, can I ask? Yeah, it's fun. I, I, I really have enjoyed talking to just some very different types of people. So I'm actually recording one later on today with the head of mobility for Daimler. Oh, wow. Uh, okay. But I've really, I just keep running into interesting people. Yeah. One of the next one I am going to do is with this guy who runs a company out of Africa called Hello Tractor. That is literally the best model and solution I've seen in IoT um, in years. He's got everything sorted. So, but it's just weird things. I go across all different topics on it. Um, you know, I've talked to the guy who came up with the concept of the Apple stores, um, some of the tech vendors, um, but it's really just interesting chat. So I'm enjoying it. Well, that's awesome. I, I do feel a little bit intimidated. So I hope uh, your experience on my podcast is going <laughs> to, it's going to be okay. So, um, so, so just again, uh, that podcast was tech burst Asia. And I imagine folks can uh, jump in and, and connect on that, uh, everywhere. Any, it's anywhere, on most any, of the major platforms. Yeah. They, or techburst.asia, they can find it as well. Excellent, excellent. Okay, so uh, so let's make a start here. So the, the context here is um, January 2020, um, you decide to write two articles in the span of four weeks, or you publish them in the span of four weeks, um, and probably two of the best uh, articles I've read in a long time. Um, they were they were uh, just randomly about topics that are actually really dear to my heart in terms of I've kept a watching brief on these issues for a long time. I've, I've, I've struggled with these topics. Um, I, I, I love them. I hate them. Uh, and we're talking about um, uh, smart city market predictions and also uh, as, as the other one uh, that you wrote 
around smart cities rankings. So um, super interesting topics. And I think one that kind of everyone has a different view on, um, you decide for some reason or another to put pen to paper and, I suppose in my view, you just nailed it. So we're going we're gonna to talk about both of those. Um, I want to I wanna, uh, tackle the smart city market opportunity one first, um, because actually recently, oh, February, I think it was earlier February, um, I, had a, uh, uh, I had an email from a, um, a large uh, technology vendor uh, asking me for numbers on what the Australian smart cities market is for 2020. Uh, and of course, I had to work out how I was going to respond to that email without really knowing what the answer was. I had views, uh, and and also um, by context, last year I had um, I had our economics intern spend about ten months trying to pull apart in Australia and New Zealand what the market opportunity was. We we sort of created a database of, of all uh, local government organizations. We trawled and trawled and trawled as much information as possible to try and get a sense of what they were doing and what might be in the pipeline. And we essentially gave up after 10 months. Uh, and one of the biggest sort of fi findings that we, that we had come out of that was that um, cities just don't publish or share sort of what, what they're doing, which was an interesting finding in itself. So, um, so you had a, you had a, a go at trying to understand uh, the, the phenomenon of the smart city market opportunity prediction. Um, I want to call it hype. Let's hype. just call it hype and make hype. it simple. <laughs> hype. I, I want to start by asking you what possessed you? Why? I have this bad habit. So I actually started my career um, in investment banking. So I never touched technology till I was 30. Um, but I look at numbers in a weird way. Like whenever I hear a number, I'll remember something else that was similar. And I've done this in other areas as well. This time it was smart cities. It literally started with, I saw a number come out that I thought was crazy. Um, so I just did a quick Google search to see what other people come up with. And then it started to look a little bit more crazy. So then I started doing some research and tracking, well, who's actually saying what and how does it compare? So, so it's literally, there's no method to the madness. It just is. Okay. So you were, I sort of, it, you were curious, you know, you, was curious, you, yeah. you see one number. Okay. You keep going. And, and just for, just for our listeners, um, it, the, the best way to sort of get your hands on these two articles is to jump into um, Charles's LinkedIn profile. I hope I can sort of say that and encourage that. But um, <laughs> Charles Reed Anderson, Reed is R double E D. Uh, it'll be listed up there in his articles. Um, uh, it's also going to be on my, if it's easier, my website as well, which is just charlesreedanderson.com. There's an insights page and there's probably like 50, 60 pieces of content on there. But those are both included there. Oh, brilliant. Brilliant. Okay. So, uh, and they're easy reads. So um, I, I'm going to sort of just, jump in and, and sort of riff here. I've got no structured questions for you. Um, your, your first sort of graph or chart, um, and as you explain in the article, you know, th these numbers range from, you know, 71 billion to 900 billion. I'm, I mean, the, 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 the chasmus gap between the lowest and the highest is just at an order I don't know how to describe. Um, and the first thing I did was, was laugh, you know, like, like I, I just, I just don't know how to take this seriously anymore. I mean, and, and I don't uh, personally and professionally, I, I don't rely on these numbers directly, but I mean, 
um, as as you would know, and you'd be you know in, in the sort of eye of the storm. You know, vendors rely on, on numbers like this to to do their projections, their sales targets, and and all sorts of things. Talk talk me through what you know of how these type of figures are, are used on a daily basis or historically. Well, so before I go into that, I want to state one thing. Um, that wasn't a prediction. Those are the baseline numbers from 2018. So that's from across. I think I have seven or eight different uh, forecasts in there. And it ranges oh, from sorry. 71 billion to 900. Yeah, that's even... an actual. So that's okay. even worse because that means yes. we don't know what we're talking about. Yeah. Um, so, but how, do, how would people use these? Say I'm a tech vendor um, and I've got a smart cities uh, division inside of my company. And I need to set sales targets. Well, I'll need to understand what the total addressable market is, say, in Australia um, for smart cities. So if I set it, assuming it's 900 billion um, as the global, and then we break it down, um, I'm going to come up with a pretty high target for my sales guys, and he's never going to achieve it. Whereas if I went in at 71, the guy has a chance of achieving it. So the idea is it impacts people because they're actually setting um, their targets, um, their company targets, their sales targets. Um, commissions, people's salaries are paid based on these numbers in the tech vendor community. So that's the big risk with it. And this is what I keep warning the vendors is, you know, you're, you're, you run the risk of really under or overpaying um, your staff based on this and not reaching your objectives for the year. Do you know if any of these forecasting companies compare notes at all? Or are they all kind of just all in their silos, not wanting to reveal their secret source methodologies or, or other kind of processes? And they just, by randomness, come up with these crazy diverse numbers. Do, it, do, they, ever, do they ever talk to each other? What goes on behind um, the scenes, if anything? I have to be careful because I used to work for one of these companies um, in the past. Oh. So I know how I get done. So I won't comment on what we did. But I'll, in the industry, when I look at this, a lot of them sort of try to stay in the same range um, of each other, but now in stuff like this, especially in the early days, we saw this with IoT as well, you get the wider ranges where big numbers get headlines. Mm. Um, but the challenge isn't whether they talk to each other, it's how do they actually define what a smart city is? And that's just it, because you know, if you look at any city, you're gonna have, let's just say, up to maybe 30 different government agencies, so each of those you would have different levels of solutions, which ones are included, which use cases. Um, it's a tricky one. Um, yeah. So it's how long is a piece of string, basically. How do you define what it is? And since nobody's really clearly defined it, it's so broad, um, you get these random numbers. Now, what they would normally do um, in these firms is they would look at the total ICT market um, spend, and they would just try to break it down. Like, you know, for hardware, what do we think is going to be spent on smart cities? I highly doubt anybody's doing this bottom up because it would just be too difficult. You would basically look at the overall ICT market in Australia, for instance, and then make an estimate at what percentage you would think smart cities forecast or smart cities component would be. Yeah. Okay. And, and I suppose on components, just taking, uh, as you've got in your article here, 5g, which is obviously very topical, very current. Um, you know the, the 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 idea, the idea here, as you've you've said, you know, ABI Research forecasting a seventeen trillion dollar sort of market value for five G, just in terms of the connected cities component by twenty thirty five. Yet, you know, I still don't think we know 
what what the opportunity with 5G is. You know, we've deployed a bit. There's some of it happening. There's a lot that's not happening. Um, in some cases, you know, telco say the business case actually isn't there yet. But for some reason, people think they can run the numbers and come up with a, a forecast. That is my favorite forecast I've seen um, in years. Just because there's so many levels of ridiculousness around it. Um, mm. You're exactly right. I mean, I have a lot of mobile operators and network equipment manufacturers as customers. They don't know how we're going to monetize this yet. We don't know the use cases. So how do you come up with 17 trillion? Um, it's just bizarre. Um, the other thing is this was released in 2019. That's 16 years in the future. So go back 16 years ago. And the way I like to look at it is if you look at the phone you would have been using 16 years ago, so 2003 at that time, it probably would have been a Nokia old handset and you'd be playing Snake on that phone for entertainment. <laughs> so it's sort of like, yep. when you were playing Snake on that old Nokia phone, could you yeah. have accurately predicted things like um, the iOS and Android um, ecosystems and app stores, yeah. the rise of Netflix or Uber and the sharing economy? Um, I just think it's too hard to look at things that far in the future. It, 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 it's kind of like, am I being too dramatic in saying, we kind of really got no idea, have we? You know, 2035. But the thing is, no one's going to fact check them. Yeah. So what they end up getting out of things like this is massive headlines. Because it did. The reason that one got to me so much, every one of my news updates included it. Yeah. Um, that I, and I get like 20, 30 a day. Um, yeah. So every one of them was talking about this forecast. And I'm like, this is absolutely ridiculous. And so what I've, you know, I always say is I've, I've put a note in my phone calendar for 2035 to fact check it. Uh, but by then we probably won't be using calendars or phones anyway. So it's pointless. That's exactly right. Who knows? So, um, okay. Let, let, let's sort of, we, we've had a conversation about that. Let's, let's just talk about sort of current state of play and, and tangibly, you know, w what this means and what, what might come from this. So, so what we have is, uh, and let's just talk, you know, media and headlines for a moment, because, you know, there's a lot of sensationalization of certain things, but, um, you know, all day, every day, people's eyeballs are, are on different feeds. And the simple fact is that, that blogs and media releases are informing a lot of our narrative and they're used to sort of make decisions, whether it's government or, or otherwise. So, so um, we, we do, and late last year, I kind of got to a point, I forget what I read, and I sort of got to a point where I just went, oh, my God, the, the, the level of quality editorial around smart cities is going downhill. I, I forget what it is that I, I read. And I, and I like to go in to see who the author is. And I remember opening up this profile and, uh, you know, I, I, I don't want to cast too much judgment, but it's it's sort of like, you know, you, you really don't have a clue really. And so all of these statements are being made and hypotheticals and based on one number, these are all the things that are going to happen. And, you know, that just generates this cycle of, uh, I won't say misinformation, but just it's not good quality narrative or dialogue or, or you know, in, informing those decision makers like, you know, cities that, that, you know, they're the ones on the front line that need to work out whether they're going to procure or invest or not. Um, what are your views these days on, on, on sort of the editorial and media and the quality of, of what's being written out there in smart cities world? 
we're still in the hype phase. Um, yeah. People can get away with writing whatever they want. Uh, most of them have failed to realize yet how incredibly complicated the smart cities market is. Um, you know, you go into one city, um, you've got 30 government agencies, that's multiple streams of work, probably hundreds, if not thousands of th streams of work that are going on, different stakeholders throughout it. No one's got budgets. Um, so basically right now, everyone likes the idea of the hype and, you know, talking about how great they're going to be. Um, you know, part of it is also the people who need these things and they need their cities to be talked about as smart are the people who are elected officials because you want to be viewed as someone who's on the forefront. Um, so, you know, the, you need to keep that hype going about how great your city is going to be to help you um, stay elected going forward. Mm -hmm. um, so I think we're still in that phase where people like um, building it up that it's going to be great. Eventually what happens, they realize how complicated it is. We tone down the hype and we start focusing on delivering value. Mm. And all I'm trying to do with these types of articles is accelerate the path to that because mm. I know we need to get there. Um, so let's try and get people to look at this much more pragmatically. Uh, I, I want to pick up on that word value that you just mentioned. One of the reflections I sort of, you know, I, I read, I read this article that you did on the, on the market opportunity sort of, you know, post-mortem you did. And I kind of sat back and went, you know, that was amusing. I totally agree with you. But what could or, sh or should be done? And I, I, I turned my mind to the supply side and the technologists and, and the vendors that, that do have to, you know, A, they run businesses, they've got to make a living and they're in the business of selling, you know, products and services and solutions. So, that, and we all need them, right? So we're all in this together, regardless of how much, you know, cities may not like vendors and vice versa. We're all in it together and we need each other somehow. I, I wondered, and I want to get your thoughts on this and I suppose ask you since writing this, you know, has anything really sort of marinated in terms of, you know, uh, different approaches to things. But I just wonder from the, from the supply side and the vendors, you know, sales targets, you know, that, that that's the world that they live in. That's how those businesses operate. Is there not another operational model, an operational sales model that can be more based on value as opposed to units shipped? Is there anything, is there any macro craziness disruption in the whole way that the supply side views this that you think we're kind of not discussing enough of? It's interesting you're asking this because I was in with a large MNC last week advising them on their smart city strategy. And I told them, so we're talking about the addressable market and I'm like, why focus on value? And I'm like, do you have an ROI model um, or ROI tool for your solutions? Because all this stuff, the cities are making decisions based on value. That's where they'll invest. They need to mm. see how it's going to save them money. And I'm not going to say how it's going to make them money because there's too few use cases that are really revenue generating. So it's really about how you save them money. If you can't provide them that tool, your sales cycle is just going to go longer. Mm. The problem is the industry we're in, um, the ICT industry, we're used to selling products, um, not solutions, and not, being, not working collaboratively with the customers to actually build it out. Mm -hmm. um, and that's what needs to change. Some customers are getting, or some vendors are getting much better at doing that. Um, like Bosch, for instance, but not many. Most of them still like to just push saying, I've got this great widget. You should use it in your city. Um, that's got to change. That's not going to work. The market's going to be stagnant until we say, I've got a widget. Let's sit down for 30 minutes. 
Let's run through some basic numbers and I'll give you an idea how much money I can save you by one. That's what people want to see. That's when things get signed off because everything inside of smart cities right now, with the exception of one or two cities in the world, the decisions are based on the business case. So, and people don't like things that talk about future revenues that are iffy. They like hard facts about how you can save them money and become more efficient. Yeah. Do, do you, Charles, do you think cities understand those dynamics of the supply side? I mean, I, I can certainly, and I know of, you know, many sort of, you know, uh, CIOs and, and IT departments that have staff that, you know, are procuring ICT uh, all the time. They've potentially spent time on the supply side, but as those smart cities efforts within local government starts to broaden across other departments. We're seeing more and more smart cities leads, you know, be, be sort of housed within the economic development team or the planning team or somewhere else. Do you think the demand side understands those, the, the, the quirkiness of how the supply side ticks and how it works, the targets, the sales cycles, the value? I think there's a lot of miscommunication where the two parties don't understand each other um, and they have different objectives. Um, if I'm a sales guy going into the city, I just want to hit my number as quickly and as simply as possible. If I'm working for the city, I'm normally stuck in an organization that's going to have many, many stakeholders, um, very limited budgets, um, and it's a long drawn out process. And also what they do is they get sold to by all these different vendors and they all come in saying, I'm the one that's best. You should use me for everything. And they all have the same type. Because I've seen most of these decks. They're all the same. I've got a platform. I can secure everything end to end. You don't need anybody else. So basically, they confuse the market. Um, and I think that's got to change. That's why I keep suggesting vendors start engaging more collaboratively. Um, try to become more a strategic partner. Um, look at shared risk models um, where you have skin in the game as well. And it's a difficult decision because that has a financial impact. Um, mm. Shared risk models, if they don't go well, no. They run the risk of doing something at a loss, mm. but they both parties need to put their money where their mouth is and sit around the table and work together more. If we keep going on like this where I sell widgets and I've got no budget, and I'm going to make your life complicated as hell. Um, it's challenging. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and that's a, that's a behavior shift, a mindset shift an operational sort of shift from the supply side and, and also, you know, the demand side as well. Um, okay. So, that was article number one, smart cities, market forecasts, your, um, your sort of uh, advice at the bottom of that article was pretty spot on, which is take them as a pinch of salt uh, or take them with a pinch of salt. So um, I think that's, uh, that's good, good guidance there when people see massive big numbers, just, you know, pause, don't necessarily uh, go banking, uh, making decisions on any particular number. So let's transition now. Um, and let's talk about smart city rankings. Uh, and even before the smart city rankings came into play, you know, I was a very um, astute spectator on the sidelines with all of the, the, the you know, the, the most livable city rankings and, and all of those. So this is one that that's, that's really dear to my heart. And, um, and when you and this was the first one that you wrote in you know in, in that sort of series, but um, uh, your headline here lies, damned lies, and smart city rankings, the kind of article nails it. Um, 
so again, like I asked you with the, the Smart City Market prediction one, uh, what was the pathway to you putting pen to paper with respect to this one? Was it just the same or was there some other sort of context as to why you decided to pull apart existing rankings? But then also what possessed you then to do your own as, as in the article? Talk us through that. Uh, I tell you, this year, I'm not going to get that many Christmas cards from cities <laughs> or uh, analyst firms or anybody who does these rankings. Um, in October last year, there was a ranking released from IMD, which is a Swiss business school, and the Singapore University of Technology and Design, so SUTD. Mm-hmm. And all that happened, literally, I saw it, and I looked at the top four cities, and it was uh, Zurich, I'm sorry, Singapore, then Zurich, then Oslo, then Geneva. And my first thought was, hmm, I haven't seen Geneva ranked that high before. I've seen Zurich and I've seen Singapore, but not Geneva. So I decided to read more about how they did the survey. And what I found is, because this, again, got into every one of my news updates for weeks. Um, this was based on one, I think it was 130 random surveys per city of citizens. Um, which means it's sort of it's the most qualitative survey you can possibly have. What we also know, because I've done a lot of surveying in the past, different cities or countries have different ways um, of replying. Some are going to be very, very overconfident in their abilities. Some are going to be very pragmatic or underconfident. And too, you know, they don't want to bang their chest and say, I'm great. So I, this really just got me thinking, how does this compare to some of the other ones? Um, so I basically took this ranking, which had, I think, 102 cities, And I compared it against the other large rankings from last year. So one of those was from ESA, um, the Spanish Business School, which has the Cities in Motion Index. They looked at 174 cities. Easy Park Group, which is a large provider of, they basically do all smart parking across the Nordics and Germany and Austria and places like that. They looked at 100 cities. And then AT Kearney um, looked at 130 cities. What I liked was IMDs was very qualitative. Um, I just looked, it's actually 120 uh, citizens per city. The other ones are all quantitative. So ESA looked at 96 variables across economy, human capital, social cohesion, um, Easy Park the same. I think AT County only used 27 metrics, but they were all quantitatively based. What amazed me was the sheer randomness, even if you went into quantitative. And what I realized was, even if you're trying to base it off of hard numbers, the numbers you select is a qualitative selection. So it leads to a lot of variety. And then I just branched out and I said, okay, I'm going to compare the top 10 across each. And that's when I realized how absolutely crazy the numbers were. So before I go on to that, I'll let you <laughs> digest on that one and ask me a question. If you'd yeah. Like. Well, well, first of all, it's almost like a carbon copy of the smart city market opportunity one, isn't it? You know, like the, the, the level of, randomness behind these you know the these well-respected organizations that are trying to sort of release information into the marketplace is, is just staggering one of the first things that comes to mind and it was when easy park released theirs uh because i remember when theirs first was was last year their first or second i, I can't remember but, but but i remember when they first released their first one and i remember reading you know the easy park groups smart city index the first thing is like why are you doing a smart city index like why like are these are these organizations thinking that this is thought leadership or something or you know like what what 
possesses someone and even even that IMD um that um uh the SUTD and the IMD one I mean I I remember when I was up in Singapore last year a couple of times people were saying you know this has been done it's about to be released and I thought oh my god another one I'm trying to work out the logic that sits behind why these organizations still feel like they need to kind of do this work. And essentially what you've opened up now is of course that, you know, when you lay them all out beside each other, it's like, well, again, you know, it's, it's so random. Can we really, can we really sort of rely on these? So I, I'm just, you know, I read your article and, and it kind of was the nail in the coffin for me to be quite honest. Right. It was just like, well, you know, this just, this just confirms what many of us were thinking for a long time. It's like, hmm, yeah, headline, media release, move on. Um, but, you know, we, we keep seeing organisations come out with new ones. Um, do, do, you, do you know what goes on, the thinking, the thought process that goes on as to why these organisations want to keep releasing these? Have, have you any, had any engagement with them? I, uh, I used some of these stats in a presentation I did at Bosch Connected World in Berlin a couple of weeks ago. And during the Q&A session, someone asked me, why do people put out these numbers um, or rankings? And I'm just like, it's headlines. Um, yes, it gets a lot of press on this. I wouldn't have known who Easy Park is unless I see their survey coming out. For AT County, they position themselves as a leader in the space, in the consulting side, because a lot of the other of their competitors don't do this type of a thing. Um, and then IMD and SCTD, it's, it's a university's getting together to show we're you know, ranking it as well. It builds up headlines and publicity for these organizations. Um, and it gets them a lot of press, which is a positive thing. The, the methodology, well, this methodology, but, but in particular for me, the, the metrics and the indicators seem to be at the heart of this. Um, a couple of weeks ago, the Smart Cities Council, uh, we released a, a media release actually around a piece of research that was done locally here in Brisbane, ranked the, the smartness of cities around the country. Um, and when one sort of dug into it, very quickly you, would, you could see that the metrics were just fundamentally flawed. And of course, if the metrics are either flawed or a bit questionable kind of everything then just steamrolls in terms of being incorrect wrong and really providing no value whatsoever so the metrics are kind of key here and what i feel with these smart city metrics is um they kind of want to they want to be and they want to include kind of tech and data and the smarty stuff but then they bring in every possible social cultural economic now of course they're the outcomes that we want tech and data to help sort of accelerate and we want to help use tech and data as an enabler to achieve those outcomes. But it's like, you know, their the, the bucket of metrics is like a blender. Let's throw some sort of out, out, outcomes focused ones in, you know, let's, let's put some input ones in there, qualitative ones, quantitative ones. For, for me, the metrics is where it starts and ends. And if you've really got a, you know, a questionable set of metrics, I mean, you're kind of like, it's, it's game over for me. Uh, that That's kind of how I, how I feel. And when you look across those metrics, as you've laid them out here, I mean, it's just like, you know, I, I actually don't think any of them understand what smart cities means or what it's trying to do. You know, tech and data is the enabler to achieve certain outcomes. So are you measuring the enablers and the uptake of the enablers 
an investment in the enablers or are you measuring outcomes? And if you're just measuring outcomes of social productivity and well-being and GDP and things like that, you know, that's been done for centuries by everyone else. So, um, again, I suppose, you know, as I mentioned, you know, really nail in the coffin kind of stuff for me in terms of, you know, the, the real depth that these show. The challenging part about this is, let's just say that ESA, Easy Park, um, or AT Kearney came and gave us a presentation and explained their methodology. It is thorough. It's based on hard numbers. We'd say, actually, you know what? This has got to be pretty close to right. But the fact is, there's so many different types of variables you can throw in there that it's just going to completely skew the numbers. And I'll, I'll give you a few examples, like on the survey, some of my favorite ones that are completely bizarre. Um, Auckland, New Zealand, ranked number six in the IMD index, but it's only number 58 um, in the Easy Park one. Bilbao, and this is the best one, ranks number nine by IMD, but number 107 by ESA. Yeah. And this is the way I, I love thinking about the guy who runs that program for Bilbao probably went into the mayor and said, you should give me a raise because we're ranked number nine <laughs> in the world. Yeah. And he's like, no, you're fired because we're ranked number 107 in the world. Yeah. Um, you know, you got Dusseldorf is 10 and one and 50 in another. London ranks um, by ESA as number one. Uh, AT County ranks at number two. Easy Park ranks at number 50. Um, and the same thing with New York. You got AT County one, ESA two, only 38 by IMD. Yeah. And it's just all over. There's so much randomness across all of this. And this is when I realized they're just not worth the paper they're printed on. And, and I mean, you highlight in your article, and I totally agree with this one, Dubai. I mean, you know, I've spent a fair bit of time unpacking and, and connecting with what Dubai do. I mean, it's absolutely phenomenal that the, the transformation work they've been doing with all their government services being digitized and things like that. Um, but, but I know that because I've I've stood there in Barcelona. I've talked to each of their team members. You know, they've opened up the screen. They've showed me what they're doing, and you get to understand it. I I imagine I'd like to know if you know this the answer to this question. But is there any um, is 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 there any sort of fact checking at all? Did someone go? Hmm. You know, it, it, it's we gave it 150. Was there any sense of kind of a, a, a test on that do, do you know if they do, do they do that do that they would be cost prohibitive because you'd yeah, actually have okay. to send, spend some, someone someone there um have somebody interview some people you could spend a week per city and it just you know it's not possible yeah um so that's the problem like you mentioned dubai which is you know let's face it, it's a pretty advanced right now with what they're doing yeah i um, mean you know, with you know everything's um visa application bill payments license renewal um are all going to be transacted by blockchain by the end of this year. Um, it's, it's pretty amazing. If you look at China and some of the cities, if you look at Alibaba's city brain project, I mean, initiatives, the stuff they can actually do in some of these cities in China is fascinating. They don't even come into like number 40 in any of these things. Mm -hmm. um, and then it gets much worse. And I just, I think there's not enough fact checking in certain parts of the world. If you look at it, it's dominated by the big cities that everybody knows. Um, they're not looking in depth into places like China or the Middle East. Because um, let's face it, I mean, if, there's a lot of spend going right now in the Middle East, whether it's Abu Dhabi, uh, you know, Saudi, um, and Dubai. That's where a lot of the smart city initiatives are really driving still. Um, so I just think they can't afford it. So they try to base it on the quants, and it doesn't always work out well. Okay, so where are we at with this conversation? Uh, based on 
based on what we've just discussed, um, the smart city market opportunity projection analysis processes and numbers out there are, uh, are sort of, you know, take them as they are, a pinch of salt. We've just confirmed the same with the smart city rankings. Um, so there's a couple of messages in there. I'm, I'm just going to sort of summarize a few things. A couple of messages are, uh, and I think you, you've highlighted it really nicely here, you know, don't necessarily believe the hype. Um, that's certainly one thing. The other thing is um, that the level of, at the level of variety uh, and, and difference in whether it's rankings or, or market, uh, market value projections um, varies so substantially that if you had to rely on these, if you had to use these in, in your work somehow, just sort of take caution and, and make sure maybe, I don't know, my, my estimate would be at least look at three different ones, you know, so you, you get a little bit of sort of, of, of a range there. Um, I'd agree with that. And I would say if you want to look at the rankings, funny enough, the one I created, I can defend it is probably the most accurate and that's sad. Um, so I, at the end of the article, I created, because people have asked me for years, will you create a smart city ranking? And I always say it's easy. I give them a blank sheet of paper and I'm like, there isn't one yet. This yeah. is a work in progress. No one's really smart yet. It's a long game. Yeah. Um, so I created the Charles Reed Anderson perfect smart city ranking, um, which of course <laughs> is the crap smart city ranking. Um, the acronym, I created the acronym, a crap methodology crap. as well. Yes. <laughs> yeah. My crap methodology is I looked at the 44 cities that were reviewed across all four of those smart city indices. And I averaged it. Which yeah, means yeah. I'm combining in probably hundreds of different quantitative factors, um, as well as the qualitative survey data into one. And you end up getting a top 20 ranking. But, but, um, so but, I, I thought it was a joke at first. And then the more I think about it, it's probably the best one. That's probably the best one that exists. And, 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 and your ranking, and I suppose somewhat consistent across all of, the, all of them is Singapore, right? You know, so, um, Singapore's an interesting one. I mean, you know, you're, you're, you're based in Singapore. Does that, does that fit well with you? Um, yes and no. Um, I think, okay, the way it is so far ahead of the rest of the world in this. Um, so the average ranking for Singapore across the four is 5.8. Yeah. Number two is Amsterdam at 9.3. Number three is Zurich at 14.5. Yeah. So basically, everybody out there, I mean, Singapore is so far ahead. And I think it is doing a very good job. However, what I always say is Singapore isn't doing a good job because of what it's done the last two years. Singapore has been building this island up with a very clear strategy for the last 50 years. Um, so it's not just happened recently. It was already smart. Um, mm -hmm. Now you've got the Smart Nation program. They're doing some new initiatives. But it's already got the, you know, some amazing infrastructure. I absolutely love living here because everything works. Everything's efficient. Um, and you'd have some of the best companies coming here as well. So it's already up there because of that. Um, but then again, should it be that far ahead of everybody else? I'm not sure I would say that. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, last question, Charles, let's just talk about sort of, let's just ground ourselves for a moment here. Let, let's talk about now. Uh, let, let's talk about smart cities. Um, you're a bit of a globe trotter. Um, can you get, can you riff for a minute or two um, quickly digest everything smart cities uh, and, and share with me sort of what you're feeling. What, what are you feeling? What are you excited about? Um, you know, there's a lot of hype out there, but there's also a lot of good stuff, right? You know, sh share, share with our listeners a little bit 
uh, your view, you know, your quick stock take on smart cities uh, globally and, uh, you know, what, what are you optimistic about? So like this stuff is the stuff that's just hype. What I'm optimistic about is people are realizing that we need far greater collaboration. Um, so that means cities need to work together or groups of cities to share best practices, um, do inner city proof of concepts, but it's also bringing that supply and demand together. So bringing the technology vendors into the same ecosystem and people sit around and talk about what are the use cases? What can we deploy? When something's deployed, let's share it out with our ecosystem so we know what's available. Um, so I, what I like is people are really, I think they've realized this isn't gonna work on our own. The vendors know they can't do it alone. Um, we really struggle to identify innovation in the smart city space because if you're a startup, it's very difficult to navigate um, a smart cities um, program management office or to work with a technology vendor. So finding these groups that actually bring the whole ecosystem together that's where I think I'm seeing, I'm very happy with the progress we're making. That's, you know, it's still got a long way to go, but at least people are realizing that the only way we're going to accomplish anything is by working closely together. Mm. Brilliant. I was just in, um, in New Zealand, uh, Hamilton, city of Hamilton the last couple of days with some conferences and things like that. And uh, that, that message is coming through pretty clear. What, what did also come, come through very clear is we use that word collaboration a lot. Uh, and there was a sense that actually what we what we're probably doing is actually just working together where there was this sense that collaboration is something a little bit deeper and different you know sharing trust you know letting go and things like that so i'm sort of i'm sort of excited as well to sort of see where that that next level of sort of working together slash collaboration uh, how that's going to emerge, uh, you know, cities working together, as you say, I, I, I think that's the next front frontier, which is cities working together, uh, aggregating demand, procuring together, scaling up, you know, sharing risk on, on paper. It, it kind of is a no brainer to me. So this is like that stuff we talked about before that I'm doing with spark labs connects. This is what it's all built around is connecting the ecosystem. If I've got a startup and take it to market, I have to hope it's going to succeed. What I've got is about 11, 12 cities around the world that are willing to partner with me to let me do proof of concepts there with these new solutions. I've got technology vendors on board who are willing to test or take them to market as well. Um, so I'm bringing together that ecosystem because it only works if we can really fast track access to innovation. Mm. And I don't think anybody's tried to do this because it is very high touch and high maintenance to keep all those vendors and cities um, working together. But that's the model that will eventually take off. And I say, like, you don't have to join our partnership um, or our ecosystem, but you should be creating your own just like this. Make sure you bring supply and demand and especially startup innovation together. So mm -hmm. bring different affiliations, different groups into one and make sure you get their buy and agree who's going to deliver what. Well, Charles, it's sorry, shameless, shameless plug. No, there, I know. No, 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 absolutely. It, it, it's been a delight uh, talking to you. We're, we're going to have to um, pull up stumps there. Um, we could have kept going, I'm sure, but uh, our listeners uh, would probably start tuning out. It's, it's, it's been good. I appreciate uh, your time and uh, thanks so much for joining us on the Chronicles today. Absolute pleasure. Thanks for having me. So for our listeners, that was Charles Reed Anderson, founder of Charles Reed Anderson Associates, uh, also host of the podcast Tech Burst Asia uh, and more recently managing partner uh, at Spark Labs Connects. 
for our uh, our listeners. If you're not subscribing to the Smart Cities Chronicles, you can do so on your favourite source of all podcasts. Uh, you can head to our website, smartcitieschronicles.com. Uh, send us an email anytime, chronicles at anz.smartcitiescouncil.com. My name has been Adam Beck, your host of the Chronicles. We look forward to bringing you another episode very soon.